as they were falling into when they were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, and all kind of, well, I am Christ, he's on our side. And as he develops this, he's talked a lot about the nature of wisdom and how God's wisdom is just different than ours. God thinks differently than we do, does things differently than we do. And so unless we learn to back up and start over, we'll never figure out what God does. Now, in, as we begin chapter 4, Paul starts to talk about himself a bit. And, and he says, and he introduces them to the idea of, here's how you need to think about me. And in talking about how he wants them to think about him and other pastors, he also gives us some real fresh insight into how we should see ourselves and understand ourselves I was going to go through the first five verses, but there's so much in the first two that I'll take the first two this week, and Lord willing, next week we'll finish the thought in verses three through five. But he says, let a man so consider us. That word consider is the word that means to meditate on and think about rationally, work your way through it, compute this, in other words, let a man think this about us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. There's a lot in these verses, but he's saying, let me use myself and others as an example. Here's what you need to understand. If you're going to think the way God thinks, if you're going to understand things the way he wants you to and get a perspective on yourself and your life. Let me use myself as an example. He says, first of all, I'm a servant of Christ. Now, to say you're a servant, Paul uses the term servant a lot. There are a couple of different Greek words that he uses to refer to servant. This one isn't the one doulos that means a bond servant or a slave. This is a word that, that more means, well, literally the word is an under rower, someone who's down in the bottom of the boat rowing the boat. But they use the term to refer to basically a lower level employee. Basically what Paul is saying is, I just work here. I'm not the boss. It's not about me. I'm just a guy that works here. And that is something that he would first address because there were some people there who were of the opinion that Paul was the guy who should be on the pedestal, the person who should be elevated and respected. And so there are people who would get in fights arguing over how important Paul really is. But he said, get that out of your head. Now, there are reasons to pick Paul as being a person of prominence. Paul was a guy who wrote most of the Old Testament, two-thirds of the Old Testament. He was a man who founded all these churches and accomplished so much for the Lord. You could see why people would start to hold him in high esteem. But he would have none of that. He said, no, don't make me your trophy boy. Don't make me your someone to celebrate. I just work here. And that's a good thing to understand, that we're all just workers, as opposed to being those who are the boss. <laughs> you know, it's different. Those of you who have, have had jobs, and then you've also owned your own business, 
you know how different it is. There are some great things about just being an employee. There are some nice things about being the boss. And most people, when they start their own business or when they, that entrepreneurial spirit starts welling up inside of them, they think, boy, it would be nice to be able to just create my own work day. I can work whenever I want. I can do whatever I want. No one to tell me what to do. I'll just be the boss. And all the profit goes to me. And you think it would be great to be the boss. And those of you who are the bosses and who own your own company or have done that, I can see you smiling as we talk about that because you remember when you thought that's the way it was. Then you own your own business and realize, I work for everyone. Everyone's telling me what to do. And yeah, I can create my own work day, and it's about 16 hours long. And when I go home, work is still there. They'll call me at home. They'll bug me. I'm, it, it seems like I'm on the clock 24 hours a day when I'm the boss. And often when people discover what it's like. Now, there are certain rewards to being the boss, certainly. If there's anything left over at the end of the week, it's yours. But so often, and I know people who are, have been bosses for years and have employees who make a lot more than they do because you're taking the risk. But the nice thing is, too, when you're an employee is, at the end of the day, you can go home. You can rest at night. So the truth is, if that business goes belly up, you can always find another job. And if you're foolish, you can sit at home and worry about the business if you're an employee. But in reality, if you're an employee, you ought to feel like, great, there's no pressure. I'll do my job, I'll show up and do what I'm supposed to do, and then I go home and I can relax. Well, Paul had that attitude, and, and that's the attitude that an employee should have. Don't worry about things that aren't your problem. Understand, I'm someone who shows up and does my job, does what I'm told to do. I'm just an under rower. I'm not where the buck stops. It's not all about me. I don't have to defend myself or my position. Hey, I'm a servant. I'm somebody that just works here. There's nothing sadder than people who work somewhere, but they think they own the place. You meet people like this almost every day in your lives. Some low-level employee that thinks that they own the place, that they take all this responsibility on themselves. It's miserable to be that person, and it's miserable to deal with a, a low-level bureaucrat who thinks they're the boss. It's just... Well, I'm not even going to go on that anymore. So. But, but Paul says, hey, I'm a low-level employee. I'm an under-rower. But he says, I'm a servant of Christ. Now, that changes everything. See, being an employee as opposed to being an employer, that defines a certain element of what your responsibilities are. But being an employee is affected greatly by who your boss is. And Paul said, yeah, I'm a low-level employee. If you want to call me that, if you want to just call me I'm some kind of a toady, then yeah, I'll admit to it. But I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I serve the one who created everything, who owns everything, the one who loves me so much that he died for me. And when I work for a boss like that, it changes my perspective on everything. I don't get too uppity. I don't get too 
big for my britches, but at the same time, I feel like what I'm doing matters. I feel like what I'm doing is significant. Now, you, if you've been an employee for any length of time, most of you have probably had bosses who are really good, whether it's the big boss or whether it's just your immediate boss. But you've also probably had experiences where you worked for a dirtbag, where your boss was somebody who was just disgusting and difficult and a, a problem. And doesn't that change your whole day? When you're going to work and, and trying to please someone who's worth impressing or going and trying to do the best you can, working for somebody who, who just makes you crazy or working for a purpose that seems almost meaningless. In our day and age, when most people work for either the government or for large corporations, it's so hard for us to get the sense of what I'm doing matters. I remember years ago when uh, Steve Jobs, who was one of the founders of Apple Computers, he was trying to recruit a guy named John Scully, who was the vice president for Pepsi-Cola. And Scully was known as a great manager. He was someone that was in very high esteem in the business world. Steve Jobs is nuts. And, you know, if you know anything about Apple computers, you, the company is run by somebody who's really a lunatic, but a really gifted lunatic. And if you get your hands on an iPhone, you'll see what I'm talking about. Amazing crazy guy and what they come up with. Now, he realized we need to get some structure in this company. And so he felt like hiring someone like John Scully, that would really help. Now, as it turned out, Scully ended up running Jobs out of the company, and then they ended up running Scully out of the company. Jobs came back, and then the country, company really boomed. But the history of Apple computers is another question completely. But when when Steve Jobs was recruiting John Scully, as he talked to this guy who had been pouring his life into the Pepsi-Cola company, very successful, what, what finally caused John Scully to decide to leave the security of Pepsi-Cola and come to work for Apple Computers is when Steve Jobs said to Scully, he said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Do you want to sell sugar water or do you want to change the world? Now, that is an example of somebody who understands who I work for and what I'm doing actually matters. And so, as Paul, in his perspective, he's going, I work here, but look who I work for. It's Jesus Christ himself. I am doing what he has called me to do, and he is the one who I am ultimately to please. Now, that didn't mean that Paul didn't work for other people. He did for most of his life. It, whether in whatever capacity, generally as a tent maker. And there were certainly people he had to please, but he realized, hey, I don't really work for you. I am a servant and under rower of Jesus Christ. I work for him. Now, the key to any of us dealing with all of the issues that come along with being an employee is to remember who really is our employer, there are other people who we are under and who we serve, but ultimately we are called to do everything as unto him. And every day when you go to work or every day when you do what it is that you need to do in that day, 
If you understand that your boss ultimately is Jesus Christ, who died for you, he's already proven how much he loves you. How that changes your perspective on everything that you do, if it's something that Jesus is asking you to do. And so Paul says, yeah, on the one hand, I'm just an employee. On the other hand, check out my boss. Look who I'm working for. It's Jesus Christ. Now, as he goes on, he says, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards, that word there in the Greek is two different words put together. One of them means house, and the other one is the Greek word namas for law. And it was a person who was managing the house, ultimately. And the word came to develop to anyone who was in a position of management. Now, once again, he's not the owner of the house. He's not the boss. But he's a manager. That is, he's not just... In the case of the under rower, you're an employee. And it might be that all you're doing is at the bottom level doing what it is you're supposed to do. But Paul says, not only that, I have a stewardship. There is responsibility. I'm involved with others. Now, as we read through the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to discover, and Paul drives this home so much, everyone who's a child of God is a steward. Because God has given each of us gifts and talents, opportunities, responsibilities. He is basically saying, not only serve me, but he's saying, look, here's how you're supposed to do that. Here's, there's an area where I want you to do that. You are a responsible steward. You are to manage what I have placed before you. Now, that becomes difficult sometimes because we might be in a position where we see really clearly, okay, here's what I'm supposed to manage. But there are other times when we're going, I don't even know what my gifts are. I don't know for sure what God's calling me to do. Or every time I think he's calling me to do something, it turns out nobody else thinks God's calling me to do it. And I'm left there going like, hey, wait, how does this work? Well, that's why he says, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. You know, a mystery is something that, and this is a transliteration of a Greek word, mysterion. It's something that's secret that people don't know. But when the Bible talks about mysteries, it's almost always talking about how God is beginning to reveal things that have been secret up until now. The mysteries of God. What Paul is saying, I am managing a mystery, and that can be kind of frustrated. If you've been a manager, if you're responsible for other people, you know how mysterious it can be sometimes. Sometimes you go, I'm supposed to be in charge, but no one acts like it. No one seems to know. I try to lead, and no one follows. It's not going anywhere. Well, that's the way a lot of people feel about their walk with the Lord, frankly. Okay, everybody says I'm a steward, Something has been entrusted to me. So what is it? Oh, it's a mystery. Now, what we want to do is know how the story ends, how the mystery ends. And there are some people, and I'm one of them, if I get a book that's a mystery, I'll quite often just turn to the end. Okay, just get to the bottom line. Tell me how this thing ends. And, and I never get all bummed 
If someone tells me how a movie ends or whatever, I don't watch movies very often, but I'm not one who's like, oh, don't tell me. I don't want to know. It's like with a sporting event. If I TiVo it, I don't get all bummed if I find out that my team lost. It saves me the trouble of watching the game. I'm not going to watch a game that I know they lose. <laughs> no. And so I don't mind knowing the end, and I think a lot of us want to know how things turn out. Just tell me what happens, okay? Like the, you know, the, the, there was, I saw a cartoon back when the movie The Titanic came out, and people were standing in line to see the movie, and somebody said, now, how many people died when the Titanic sunk? And somebody goes, oh, thanks a lot. You just ruined the movie. <laughs> but... So often, life is a mystery. It's a story that winds through all kinds of things happen. You can't predict what's going to happen. You look back and you go, how in the world did I get here? How did this work out? It's a mystery. And God has called us to function in mysterious things sometimes. But the mystery is unfolding, and really, if you're a normal person, the fun is going through the mystery like a maze going down certain alleys and finding out their dead ends and retracing your steps and trying somewhere else, that can be a lot of fun. But we so often just, let me just get to the end of this thing. Like people who bought Rubik's Cube, and I found out the easiest way to solve Rubik's Cube, those little stickers, they peel right off. <laughs> and you just stick them back on, all the colors on one side. I solved Rubik's Cube in five minutes. You know? And then I just left it there on my desk. Yeah, I solved Rubik's Cube. But there are a lot of us who want to live our life that way. Oh, this is a mystery. Here's how it ends. And when we don't know what God's doing or how it's all going to turn out, we're uncomfortable. Paul said, I'm a steward. I'm a manager. But I'm managing something that's really slippery and hard to get a hold on it. I'm managing something, and I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to look when it's done. But I know this, God is working in my life, and it's a mystery that he wrote, and it will unfold. It's going to work out. So I am comfortable being a steward of the mysteries of God because I'm comfortable in the fact that I'm just an employee. I have a boss. He knows what he's doing. And I'm satisfied being a steward of the mysteries of God. Anytime we open the Word of God and talk about it. We're talking about mysteries. How can you understand it? We've been going through passages where he's talking about, look, your wisdom is stupid compared to God. God's wisdom looks like foolishness to you. It's like, oh, great. Then what are we doing here? What we're doing here is we're enjoying a good mystery. And that's what your life is, mine too. But it's a mystery whereby we're working for God. And he knows what it is that he wants to do in our lives. He has given us gifts. It takes us time to figure out what those gifts are. And there are some people who go almost their entire life, and then they begin to discover, I get it. I see what I was put here to accomplish. I understand my gifts. But going through that process is part of the fun. It's part of the adventure. That's our little mystery. But it's knowing that God says, I have something, several things I want to do in you. I have certain gifts that I've given you. Now, go ahead and follow the mystery, and you'll see what happens. But what you'll see if you're following him 
and you're remembering he's your boss, it'll start to develop. It'll start to unfold. Now, Paul had a great sense of being a steward of the mysteries of God, not just in his own life. He came to understand who he was, but an awful lot of what Paul was is he was one who could help other people unfold the mystery, solve the puzzle, compute the equation. And so as he would pour his life into others and see them blossom, he realized, ultimately, that's my calling. That's what I love to do. Now, Every one of us are in a different place in terms of knowing who we are and what God wants to do through us. The fact that we're still alive, the mystery hasn't been completely solved. But most of us are in the process of figuring that out because God has given us a stewardship. He's given us gifts and a calling, and they're irrevocable. He won't take them away. And now here we are on that path. Now, There's nothing more incredible than when someone finds their niche and they're going, it makes sense now. It's coming together. Instead of trying to do 5,000 different things, I figured out, for this I was born and for this came I into the world. Here's who I am. And then to be able to focus your attention on that stewardship is a great thing. I think of people in first service. I saw Helene Crosswhite was here. Many of you know Helene. She's a lady in our church who, she's done lots of things in her life, but she's found out her niche and her niche in life and her niche in, in our body in the churches. She loves babies and she loves mommies of babies. And that is her passion. And if any of you have babies, you've probably met Helene if you've been here for any length of time. She, she's a lactation expert. She's a, you know, she'll pile you down with all kinds of information. She just loves babies. She knows every baby in the church practically. She's the one that's always advocating for, we need more stroller parking. And, we, you know, and it's just, that's her deal. Now, she has a lot of gifts, and she has a lot of different things she's interested in. And You know, I've butted heads with Helene many times over all kinds of issues. Sometimes I think she's kind of kooky about some of the things that she's into. But here's the deal. She loves babies, and she knows that's her thing. So if you become pregnant, eventually she's going to find you. In fact, fact, if you just start putting on a few pounds, she'll be like hanging around going, okay. But she knows who she is, and it's such a blessing to see her function in that giftedness. There are other people in the body who find their niche. It might be decorating things. It might be encouraging people in other ways. It might be donuts. It could be all sorts of things, but it's an amazing thing when someone finds out who they are, and the mystery starts to be solved, and they go, whoa, now I get to do what God's called me to do. And Paul said, yeah. Now you're understanding it. You're a servant. You're an employee. So understand, your boss is Jesus Christ. You have a stewardship, something that's been entrusted to you. It's a mystery, but it's starting to unfold. And so often it unfolds in a way that is surprising. You know, and and often it involves you're doing something just because you have to make a living, I think of Lyndon Brown, who goes to our church, who's a general contractor. Now, he didn't become a general contractor because this is something I can do for God. He just needed to support a wife and kids. 
And that's what he was doing. But what he's discovered is this connection he has in Mexico where every chance he gets, he takes guys down to Mexico and he's built all kinds of stuff. And the truth is he does his general contracting all week for his passion, which is to be able to go down there and, and turn people's lives around for eternity by his hammering and nailing and sawing and everything that he does down there. And when you see that happen, it's amazing. When you see someone who is just going, okay, this is what God's called me to do. I'm going to do what I've been called to do. And then they start to find their niche and you go, that's what all that was about. And all of those experiences I've had in my life and all the pain that I've endured throughout my life, everything, it's all starting to come together. And it's a beautiful thing when we see and we begin to develop the opportunity to minister to others in a way that utilizes every goofy thing that's ever happened in our lives and starts to come together. And it's an awesome thing. And Paul said, I get that. I I'm a manager of something that God has entrusted to me. And what I love to do is as the mystery is being solved in my life, I love to help other people solve their mystery also. And if there's anything that's more rewarding than seeing the mystery solved in your own life, it's when you have the chance to help someone else discover their giftedness and discover their... Um, stewardship, and to see them begin to develop. It's the, it's the great thing about having kids. When you have kids, ultimately, everything else takes a back seat. And when you see your kids making wise decisions, when you see them providing for themselves, moving out of the house, that kind of stuff, it's like, it's not just nice because you get a room back. It's, it's great because you're like, I poured my self into these kids that I love so much, and I think they're going to make it without me. I think they're going to be okay after I'm gone. And to see them blossom and find things that they're passionate about, that's so much better than finding what you're passionate about. And ultimately, the way God's stewardship works and the way the body of Christ works, and we'll see this as we continue to go through 1 Corinthians, it's all about us helping each other unravel the mystery of God. It's all about us working together and seeing that flourish. Now, in the process, it gets messy. In order for everyone to find what their niche is, they're going to have to bang into some walls. They're going to have to go down some dead ends. They're going to have to try some things that turn out to not be the way. And one of the worst things that we can do is to make people feel like you failed. Now it's all over. One of the best things we can do is when things aren't working out for someone to go, you know what, it's great. Now you found out that's not what the thing is. Okay, you fouled some things up, but hey, keep moving. You're going to find your place. You're going to find your gifts. You're going to find your calling. You'll find your niche. And if we encourage each other, then that starts to happen. And usually we look back and we'll go, wow, there's a real mess getting here. But I feel like something's happening now. And that's a good thing. And so Paul says, I'm an under rower. I'm working for the best boss in the universe. And I have this mysterious package that's been given to me, and it's starting to develop. And that's kind of exciting. 
But now in verse 2, he says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. That word for requirement is a word that's used a lot in the New Testament, like 120 times, and it's almost always translated seek. The idea is, here's what you're looking for. Here's the, the pot at the end of the rainbow. This is what you're after. It's required or it's, you're looking for in stewards. That one, it's interesting that he put that word one there. It's a singular personal thing ultimately. It's not like that everyone. He goes, look, the one you have to worry about is you, one. And that you be found faithful to be found. Like if you're doing something enough, then it's gonna, you're going to stumble on it faithfulness. That's what it is ultimately. Now, so our job requirement really, our resume is just be faithful. The good thing about that is there are a whole lot of things that aren't a requirement of the job. He doesn't say it's required of a steward that you be more successful than most people. He doesn't say it's required of a steward that you really impress everyone. It's required of a steward that you just burn it up with an energy and an excitement. He goes, no, it's actually faithfulness. Faithfulness isn't something that's flashy. Faithfulness is something that Paul had in spades. Faithfulness is something Paul was saying, you know, when I came, people expected me to be flashy, and I wasn't. But you know what? What I've learned is I just keep on plugging along. That word faithfulness Faith, uh, required of a steward that he be found faithful. It's a word that means somebody who trusts and someone who can be trusted. You can be counted on. Now, if it was required of a steward that they be anything but that, we would have to say, I can't do that. But faithfulness is just showing up. It's like the Energizer Bunny. Just keep going and going and going. Uh, Pastor Chuck, 80 years old, still ministering all the time. Now, you know, I remember hearing about Chuck and before I was a Christian, and, and it, I, would, I would go and watch Chuck. You know, you go to this tent, and it's all this rock and roll church, and this old guy gets up there. I mean, he was like 40 and <laughs> looked old to me. And, you know, it was kind of... He was wearing like a turtleneck, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're really hip. And, and he just opens the Bible and would teach for two hours just going through verse by verse and not like a ton of funny stories, and there was nothing visual. And I thought, boy, I don't know about that. But the longer I listened, the more I was impressed with what a great thing it is when someone just continues to do what they're called to do day in and day out. When you'd go to that church, you wouldn't wonder if there was a guest speaker this week or anything special. He was just there. He would show up. It wouldn't matter. In all the years at Calvary Chapel until just recently, I know he had only missed one time for being sick. And it's not because Chuck never got sick. He was sick. But he would show up anyway. The one time he missed, he only missed first service. And that be, was because the type of sickness that he had, you can't possibly get rid of it 
in the pulpit, if you get what I'm saying. So he sent his son, Chuck Jr., in to do first service, and after he got ready, he, <laughs> he was there and did second and third service and Sunday night. Now, you can go, that's just plain stupid, or you can go, that's faithful. I think of guys like Chuck Swindoll. We went and saw him speak recently. This guy's in his 70s, and he's been doing what he does faithfully over and over again, just teaching the Word of God, not in a real flashy way, not, not in any way that would be the latest and greatest thing, but he just keeps doing it. And I'm like, wow, I go and I go, Swindoll's still alive? That's great, you know? And listening to him, he said, yeah, people are always asking me, when are you going to retire? He said, I'm not going to retire. He said, what I want, the last sound that I hear in the world, I want to be the sound of my head hitting the pulpit. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, the older I get, the more I'm impressed with that kind of faithfulness, just showing up. It's something that anyone can do. If you choose to, it's all about discipline. And ultimately, there are a lot of flashes in the pans that will come and go. And ultimately, you will be so thankful for those people that you can really count on. Now, faith is something that we often misunderstand. The truth is, none of us wants faith. We often pretend like we want faith. Really, what we want is to not need faith. Faith means that you believe in something that you can't see, that you don't have the evidence for. The evidence of things not seen, as Paul said in Hebrews 11. And often we say, boy, I was really doubting. My faith was wavering. And then God did a miracle. And man, my faith just increased so much. Wrong. Miracles never increase your faith. Miracles are because of your lack of faith. God makes up for it by going, okay, here, I'll show you. It's like Gideon. God called him and said, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And God's talking to Gideon, and Gideon's like, well, how do I know it's you? God's like, who else talks to you when you can't see him? What do you, you know, and he goes, okay, if you're God, I'm going to put a fleece on the ground, and tomorrow I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. And God's like, oh, great. Okay, fine. He does it. Next day he goes, okay, God, uh, tomorrow make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Okay, fine. And ultimately then he has to have some guy have a dream and a tent that mentions, and finally Gideon goes, okay, 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 I know it's you. Moses did the same thing. God's talking to him out of a burning bush. Well, how do I know it's you? It's a bush talking to you. (laughs) And he's like, okay, but you need to give me more to go on. So God's doing magic tricks for Moses, turning stick into a snake and things like that, giving him leprosy, and, okay, okay, I know it's you. And and we think, that's what I want to see. I want to see God do miracles. And God says, what I want you to do is to be faithful. How about doing it without the miracle? You know, yeah, if I do some spectacular healing for you, then you'll be excited but you will have missed an opportunity for faith. But if you will remain faithful in the midst of your pain, then you will be doing something much greater than me bailing you out with a magic trick. And he says, here's where we're going. We're going towards faith. 
We're going toward you learning to be dependable, you learning to trust me even when you don't feel like it, even when you're not seeing miracles. He goes, it's faithfulness, that's what I want. I've been faithful to you. I'm asking you to be faithful. Do you work for me? Have I given you a stewardship? Now how about just being faithful to do that? What does that look like in a life? It means that today you go, hmm, a lot of mysteries in life. God, I'm not sure what you want me to do today. And he goes, well, what do you know I want you to do today? What is it that you absolutely are certain that I've laid in front of you? You have a family. How about being nice to your family? Can we do that? Yeah, okay, I can do that. Okay, what if you have to go to work this afternoon? Okay, I'll do that. What if the lawn needs mowing or something? Yep, can't escape that. Do that. It's going through life going, I am going to show up, and I'm going to realize whatever God is telling me to do, that's what I want to do. Is there something in your life that God has been telling you to do, and you're just not doing it? That's unfaithfulness. You just don't trust him enough to do what he told you to do. And you're saying he's your boss and you're not being obedient? Now, you go, yeah, but there's got to be more. Oh, yeah, there's a lot more. I'm sure that God has some great purposes. I don't even know what my ministry is. You'll find out. But you do what God tells you to do. Be faithful in the small things. Be consistent as an employee of God, and he will begin to unravel that mystery, and it will become more and more clear what you were born to do. And then what happens when you are faithful doing what you know to do, he will open up opportunities for you to do other things. The mystery will unfold. The mystery will ultimately be solved, and you get to be a part of it. But it happens when you say, God, I work for you. You don't work for me. If you are an under rower of Christ, it means that you got to quit thinking of him as somebody you use to get your stuff done. It can't be about you praying in order to tell God what to do. It's like, you know what, God, you're God. I work here. And then it's saying, okay, what's my stewardship? What is it that you've committed to me? What am I supposed to manage? Who in my life can I have a positive effect on? Who is it that you'll bring across my path who I will encourage? And I'll do that faithfully, day after day, year after year. You can count on me to do it. I know some people who feel like they are spiritual failures because they've never done anything significant for God, they think. And yet some of those people are some of the most successful stewards of the mysteries of God ever because they are constantly encouraging other people to grow closer to God and to serve him and to learn from him. And is it okay if that's your role? Don't get so frustrated in thinking that, okay, I know what I want to be. I have my vision. Now I need to get there. Instead, you might be there. Show up, be faithful, be consistent, be disciplined. And it may be that you have the greatest responsibility of encouraging other people to discover their gifts, encouraging others to function in the use of what God has done in their lives. 
That's not a second-class thing you settle for. And ultimately, as your life unfolds, yeah, when you're young, you want flash. When you're young, you're impressed by people who are really on fire. You know what? But life isn't lived primarily by cheerleaders, you know, by Tony Robbins types that get everybody pumped up. When you're young, that's what you want, man. You want a pastor who's like, come on, you can do this. You're going to, come on, let's all do it together. Let's stand up and put a smile on your And you're like, yeah, that's what's, you know, but then enough of those people come and go, and you start to realize, I'm ready for somebody that'll show up. I'm ready for somebody who's just going to consistently do what God's called them to do, whether it's flashy or not. It's why God doesn't get all impressed every time a celebrity becomes a Christian. And God's like, oh, great, another rock star got saved for six months. And, and he's like, why are you guys so excited about this rock star who got saved this week, and, and a month from now they're going to be in rehab, and everything's going to be going, then they're going to join Kabbalah or something. Hey, how about just encouraging people to live the life. Enjoy the mystery. Stay where you are and and bloom where you're planted and keep plugging away. God's not impressed by flash. He's impressed by consistency. He's impressed when he goes, you're still here? Good. That's what I like in my employees. That's what I like in my servants and my stewards. And that's what he calls us to. And you can do that. Just do what he tells you to do. And remember, you're not the boss. You just work here. And when you discover more and more what you're born to do, then you won't feel like you have to make up for it in volume. You won't feel like you have to do this and this and this and this and this. You find your niche, you know your place in the body, and you're satisfied doing that. And you encourage other people to do the same. And you won't feel anymore like, boy, you know, I'll tell you what I'm really good at is is, uh, you know, decorating, but I wish they'd let me, you know, preach on a Sunday morning. It's okay to do what you're called to do. More than welcome. But, you know, it's like if the body's working, it's because every nobody's overworking. Nobody's knocking themselves out. The old rule that, that 80% of the work in church is done by 20% of the people is probably true, and it's a tragedy, Because that means that 80% of the people don't understand they've been given this precious stewardship, these gifts and opportunities. And so the people who are trying to serve God are, are knocking themselves out, burning themselves out, and other people are going, my life doesn't have any meaning. Hey, understand, you work for him, it's a mystery. You're not gonna know the ending, but get on the path and be faithful and show up. And when that happens... Great things happen. Mysteries begin to unfold. Next week, as we go into the next few verses, he talks a little bit more about evaluating all of that, and, and I know that that'll be helpful to you as it, as it is to me. Let's pray. God, thanks for telling us the requirement, faithfulness.